0: Thank you for checking out Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I am your host Mark, and once you've checked out this show, feel free to head over to Pantheon Podcasts and check out some of the other great shows they have on the network. There is literally something for everyone. And before we get too far into this, I want to thank our sponsor AKG for their Podcaster Essentials Kit. The Lira mic and headphones are ideal for starting your own podcast. They're easy to use and incredibly affordable. Blood Twins' Grant Curry joins me on this episode. His road to music was neither direct nor easy. He was diagnosed with diabetes at age 8, and by the age of 14, he was already in a drug treatment center. After going through rehab, he has stayed clean and even became a counselor, but music was always in the back of his mind calling him. When the opportunity to take time off of work and play came, he took it and never looked back. He met James Hall and created four incredible albums with James Hall and Pleasure Club, but after Hurricane Katrina uprooted his life in Louisiana, Grant relocated to Georgia and eventually formed his new band Flood Twin. The band is releasing their debut album and it's a beast. Not only is the music minimalist and powerful, but so is the artwork, which was also done by Grant. Follow the band at Flood Twin and you can buy the album on Bandcamp or stream it anywhere. Follow us at Performance a on the socials Feed us coffee at ko-fi.com/performanceanxiety. Buy things at performanceanx.threadless.com, and get ready to hear some stories with Grant Curry of Flood Twin on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon family of shows.
1: This is Grant Curry with Flood Twin. I'm on Performance Anxiety podcast with Mark Shea, and we've got a record coming out March. Oh, Let me start over, okay. Okay. Um, hi, this is Grant Curry with Flood Twin. I'm on Performance Anxiety Podcast with Mark Shea. Flood Twin has an album coming out October 8th, uh, streaming via SoundCloud and CD and download via Bandcamp. We'll be playing the Earl October 15th here in Atlanta, and we'll be playing October 14th at the Nick in Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, how you doing? What's what's happening? Good. Uh. Oh, well, we're getting a. I, looks like we're getting a storm coming through here.
1: Yeah. It cooled off.
0: Yeah. We're. Uh, looks like we're getting a storm coming in. It's getting pretty windy and starting to rain a little bit. So.
1: So where are you at?
0: I'm in Winchester, Virginia.
1: Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So you you're in Georgia right now, right?
1: I'm in at Atlanta. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not originally from here, but lived here in Georgia since beginning of 2010, I was I, originally I, uh, from Southeast Louisiana, Slidell in New Orleans, and I left several years after the, after the storm. Right. Water kind of ran me out of there.
0: Yeah, I heard that from a few people.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, a bit of a heartbreak to leave there, but I saw that you were interviewing uh, Doopsy the other day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I had uh, Corey Ledet on too.
1: That's great. You know, I used to go see Doopsy's father. Oh, Rockin' Doopsy. I see, I used to go Rock see, see Rock uh Rockin' Doopsy and the Zydeco Twisters when I was young.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: we would go see them at the uh at the Rockin' Bowl at Mid City Lanes. It was an old you know, an old uh old bowling alley and they had uh they had live music. It was great.
0: Oh wow, that's awesome.
1: Well, I'm gonna try and make this hard for you as well.
0: Okay. You're gonna make so, me earn my keep, huh? Yeah, earn my big absolutely. podcast bucks. Yeah, man. So. The way I usually like to start out is to find out a little bit about how you got to where you are. Find out about how you got into music in the first place. You are a bass player, but was that the instrument that you started with?
1: No, I I started uh, with guitar when I was real young. Okay, and you know I I'd say it. I just never. I mean, I can play, I can play just fine, but I never really connected with it. And it wasn't until I sat in with a friend's band when I was probably, I don't know, 16, 17, and they needed a bass player for the day. Okay. And they, they loaned me a bass. And, you know, that was the moment I felt like, oh, yeah, this, this is my instrument, you know. And then from that point, I think I probably struggled through on guitar for maybe another couple of years but eventually got myself a bass and and you know played bass in a couple bands of of you know no consequence you know cover band and okay. with people i worked with and and then you know a couple like not so excellent bands and <laughs> and I, I really found i found my voice with bass and it it really felt like the instrument that was for me I, you know i started on cello when i was probably in 3rd or 4th grade and I love cello, unfortunately, you know, I like a lot of young people starting on instruments. I had uh, an instructor who just wasn't very patient and uh-huh. so it became a real frustrating thing for me and I didn't enjoy it. Oh, that's,
0: that's such that's a quite. shame.
1: Yeah, because, you know, today uh, I wish that I was proficient in cello.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's a shame. I hate hearing that. Was there a lot of music in the house when you were growing up? Were you listening to a lot of stuff? No. No,
1: you know I, there was no. My mother's father was a musician, but oh. uh, you know, and he apparently during during Prohibition, and he. My mother was from Pittsburgh, and during Prohibition, he in his late teens was playing speakeasies. Oh wow! And he was a, he was a sax player, and apparently he was quite gifted, wow. and um, had his own band, and I guess decided. Uh, not to pursue music. He was, up, he was apparently invited to join Benny Goodman's band at one point.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, but he put music down because of the depression and and felt like he should try and pursue a living that was a little more secure. And so, you know, he worked his way through Carnegie Tech, uh, working at a mortuary at night. Oh, my God. And um, got his engineering degree and and then went on to... You know, I think he worked for U.S. Steel for years and years as an engineer. And anyways, I never got to see him or hear him play saxophone. When I was a little little kid, we'd go visit and I'd see him tinkering around. He had a beautiful chickering piano and he had an organ, but I never got to see him play sax. And so that was a disappointment to me. Oh. So I didn't grow up around any music, actually. And neither um, of my parents are musicians. My beautiful sister was not a musician, and I was the only one. Wow! And, uh, I grew up, you know, listening to my parents' small handful of albums. You know, and they had they had the Beatles' Red album. You know, the the, the double uh, Red compilation. Yeah. And I love that. You know, I fell in love with the Beatles. The Beatles were my first thing. You know.
0: Okay. You didn't grow up thinking that music was going to be a profession for you then.
1: I guess I grew up thinking that. I probably wouldn't get to, I wanted to, Ah. I wanted more than anything. I think probably from the time I was six, I wanted more than anything to be a musician, but I didn't think that I was good enough. You know, you know, my parents, you know, like a lot of parents, they didn't necessarily see a lot of, lot of natural talent in me and didn't really encourage me to, to chase that. And, um, you know, I mean, I heard, more than a couple of times. Hey, you know, you have to be really good to, to make it in music, and that was disconcerting. But yeah. clearly, I didn't. Clearly, I, I didn't. I didn't let that stop me. No, nope. you know. <laughs> um, and and they would say today that they were glad I didn't listen to them. That I ignored them most of the time. <laughs> Defied them, you know. <laughs> At every turn,
0: you had you had some health problems growing up. Was that? Did that affect your playing or your desire to, to play music or, or to find a creative outlet at all?
1: Yeah. I would say that it affected my everything. Yeah, you know, so I, I grew up with, with type 1 diabetes since I was 8. Wow. And, you know, it impacted me so deeply. And now you got to understand, when I was diagnosed, there was no – the insulin pumps weren't being – widely used. They were still just in um, the infancy of of studies and uh, development. And they were as big as a backpack, you know, and home blood testing didn't exist. You know, we didn't have technology, you know, and so managing diabetes was incredibly difficult. And, you know, I heard from a young age that I probably wasn't going to live very long. And I would be challenged with a lot of a lot of problems along the way I was going to be compromised you know I was yeah. probably probably going to lose limbs I might go blind you know I've heard um, that
0: yeah
1: failure, these kind of things and you know while all those things can and do happen to some people with diabetes you know hearing hearing that shit at eight years old th- there's nothing good in that no you know being being told those things as a as a hey, let's scare him into trying to into taking care of himself. Well, you know, eight-year-old kids aren't really supposed to know how to take care of themselves too well, you know? Exactly. And, and uh, we need a lot of help doing that. And so anyways, I grew up with a lot of fear and I grew up fast and I, I, I matured fast in many ways. And I just grew up with a, you know, a real intensity and, and more intensity, I think, than, than I, could, I could really bear at most times. And, oh, wow. And, and to this day, I would say that, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty intense person and you know, that's where a lot of that comes from. But the thing that happened is, well, one, I had a number of challenging years, you know, where my health, my health was not good. Yeah. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad you bring this up. And there's a reason why I have it in my bio because because it did impact me so deeply and it has led me to all the things that i do today and it's led me to the life that i have and and to be the person that i am and so you know i went through uh, years of of trying to manage that with drugs and alcohol you know i started that when i was eight as well wow and you know i eventually ended up um near dead and and in a, a lockup Drug treatment facility at fourteen, and wow. and I spent spent 1982 institutionalized and locked up part of the time, and uh, that was a tough time. But again, man, like this stuff shaped me, yeah. and I don't have a I don't have a good explanation for you as far as how have I managed to stay clean because I have, right? right. I've been clean since then. And wow,
0: that's fantastic.
1: I've been able to harness the challenges of my diabetes fairly well and, and come to some level of, of peace with that and be able to take care of myself and I work really hard at it. And so, yeah. you know, I think, I think that growing up with chronic illness and addiction gave me, it gave me insight and it gave me resilience and it gave me a deep, deep desire to want to have, to want to do the things in life that really meant something to me, you know? Okay. And not, try not to spend too much time doing things that really weren't, you know, weren't meaningful to me, you know? And and so um, I think that, that those things did lead me to music. And I think that they've also led me to be, you know, look, I'm I'm not, I don't think I'm any kind of like great example of a, of a human being but you know I try. I try and and goddamn it, you know like diabetes enabled me to see people as they are. Okay. Okay. And diabetes enabled me to see people with challenges as my equals and as valid human beings, enabled me to see people of different races and of different ideas and as as people that were worthwhile and, and you know were like me you know and so you know i don't know the underdogs of the world i connect with and yeah. and um, and i'm i'm thankful for that so you know that led me to to uh, ultimately decide that i didn't want to pursue a, you know a conventional life i wasn't i didn't want my my priorities to be based in Income, I needed for my priorities to be based in me being satisfied uh, living in the arts.
0: But now that wasn't a, a straight jump for that because you, you did go into uh, substance abuse counseling, right? You, you uh, were actually helping people out.
1: Yes. Now, yeah. How did you know that? I, I've got my ways. You, you do have your ways. I did. I did. I, um, so in the immediate, you know, several years after I got clean, you know, I basically all I did was I, I I, I barely scraped by in high school and my every every waking hour outside of high school was like desperately clinging on to to life and, and, wow. and, and trying and to get by you know yeah. and and going to going to 12-step groups and and rehab meetings and and all that. and you know my weekends were fuck man. Friday and Saturday night was, Hanging out at the Slide L seventy six truck stop with you know a bunch of bunch of twelve step folks you know that were all older than me but they were they were mentors to me and they were people that helped helped me get through it all you know and so anyways I I eventually I pursued chemical dependency counseling as a career and did that for a few years and I, I was really good at it and uh, I actually didn't work with a lot of adolescents. I did for a time, but mostly I was, I was better working with adults, even though I was really? so young still. Wow. And at, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, you know, I was really close to getting my, my national board certification and, and, uh, but I just knew it wasn't for me. Yeah. I wasn't, I just, I, didn't, I don't know. I, 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 already lived that. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to, I don't know. I didn't want to live and breathe, addiction you know i wanted to have more That's, in my life and yeah. so i i just i realized that um i i i wanted to be in music you know
0: yeah well i mean imagine at that age living in that world 24 7 fighting those struggles personally with yourself every day and then trying to help other people do it at that age can be overwhelming i'm sure
1: yeah yeah and you know who knows maybe if i got into it when i was when i was older maybe it would have gone better for me but it just you know, it wasn't for me. Yeah. A life, a life in the arts was the right thing for me.
0: So what was it that made you make that jump from counselor to
1: musician? I got, I got, I got an opportunity to take a, a voluntary layoff Okay, uh, from the hospital. I was that I, that I worked with at the unit where the unit was that I worked at. And they were, you know, they were cut, they were doing, doing cutbacks at this hospital. And so, you know, I had to, I had a caseload of my own at the time. And I just, they said, "Look, you know, we are going to have to cut your hours, and you have to go to night shift, and and you know, we're going to give your caseload to so and so, and or you can take a layoff." I took the layoff, and I got several months of severance, and I left Slide. I was I was living in Slide L, Louisiana, still at the time, and I left Slide L and moved into New Orleans within a week of getting that severance offer. Oh wow! And got a got a, a tiny little apartment <laughs> in the Lower Garden District. You know, which was actually kind of a rough area at the time right by the St. Thomas projects. And, and I just devoted myself to, I wasn't a band at the time, okay? okay. It wasn't a band that I was terribly excited about or, or really fulfilled in, but, it, but I was playing music, okay? Right. And so anyways, I devoted all my time for the next several months to going out like night after night after night and looking for other musicians that I could connect with, you know, and to really get something cool going. and. Okay. It was during that time that I, uh, I met some guys. And I saw, I don't know if you're familiar with James Hall. I love so James, James Hall. Originally from Mary My Hope and yeah. Atlanta based. And, and then he had moved to New Orleans. And he was trying to put together a band. And he had, he had brought a guitarist, Lynn Wright, down with him from, from Atlanta. And he had started working with drummer Sterling Roy. And uh, I saw them playing. It was actually just James and Lynn playing one night. Okay. And, and, and and I was just absolutely flattened by them. And it was extraordinary. It was like, it was like the velvet underground was a lot more strangeness mixed in. And, (laughs) and with all this, this really incredibly beautiful melodic stuff happening over all this, like really repetitious droney feedback kind of thing. and, I just knew like, these guys are, are speaking a language that I know. Yeah. And so I, I approached James soon after that. He, they rehearsed just a couple doors down from where my band did and, and uh, you know, said, hey, man, I saw you. And I think you guys are fantastic. Are you looking for a bass player? You know, and, and sure enough, they were. And so I, I ended up, uh, you know, I was with James from 90, early 92 until um, 98. We did two records, yeah. two James yeah. Hall records together. And look, you know, they were solo records, but it really was not so solo, you know. Yeah, and the band was contributing an awful lot to what was going on, and. The second record was came out on Geffen, and it was a massive, massive uh, deal, and it didn't go well. And the record failed miserably, and and it was just a big bummer. We had spent a ton of time on the first record over in Europe, and that went really well, but the second record didn't. So. Been splintered, and then I I spent a year year and a half kind of kind of floating and looking for my next move. And I worked with um, P W Long from Mule. Okay. Not a lot of people know that I did that, but I worked with he had this thing called P W Long's Real Foot after Mule split up. Okay. And and he's an he's an absolutely extraordinary artist. And so worked with him playing bass with him for about a year and because uh, he had drifted down to new orleans and and then ultimately he moved on from new orleans and i stayed and james and i felt like we had more to do and that's when pleasure club formed
0: oh, okay in late
1: 99 2000 and james and i recruited michael jerome and mark Hutner, uh michael from course of empire mark from sugar tooth to uh to complete the band and we had a great run up until about 2005.
0: Yeah, those are, albums are amazing. Going the water with my
1: eyes up on the sun.
0: With permanent solutions. And flat- With children before the service your mind. Move faster, Thank you. I, I did get a chance to see you guys, uh, not, not Pleasure Club, but James Hall on the Maria McKee tour. Oh,
1: I, well, I was playing bass then.
0: Yeah, I, got see, I was up in Philly. Well, I wasn't in Philly, but that's where I saw you guys, at the uh, Theater of Living Arts. Yeah, yeah.
1: That
0: was yeah. a great yeah. show. You guys blew me away. As soon as the show was over, I went out and bought the album.
1: Yeah, we were we were really the token weirdos on that tour, you know. <laughs> I mean Maria McKay is, you know, marvelously talented and I mean, we were like happy to be out there with a talent like her, but it didn't fit. It didn't fit.
0: That yeah, you um, guys went from that to Rage Against the Machine. I mean uh-oh. I didn't see, I don't see you guys really with either of those acts. Yeah. It was wild.
1: Yeah, we ended up on you know, no nope, <laughs> our agent agency at the time had a hard time placing us on tours. And, um, uh, we did, we did a, a number of tours that were ill fitted, but <laughs> yeah. whatever the case, you know, so that deal though with Kevin, just, you know, it, it, it blew up yeah. in, in a bad in the bad way. And ultimately the band just splintered and James and I were, you know, we, we were not doing well personally with each other, uh, which was a bummer because, you know, James and I are actually really close and yeah. and have real deep affection for each other. But, but we weren't getting along then. And so, you know, we were having creative challenges with each other and because um, uh-huh. we, were, we were both writing in the band. And anyways, we moved on. He went on and did, you know, just went on to do stuff he's done on his own since and with some other bands. And, yeah. and I then had built a studio in Louisiana. I started getting into recording and, and built a studio out in the middle of nowhere yeah. on the north side of Lake Pontchartrain in a cabin. And, wow, which is actually where we where we recorded the last Pleasure Club record. Oh, and, cool! Uh, which is a place I called "Music for Chameleons." you know, being a, a bit of a Capote fan and, um, and then, you know, I started producing records. I started figuring out how to, how to record people. I had some great mentors doing that. Ethan Allen, uh, who had, who was with, um, you know, had worked, um, in Den uh, Dan Lamois Kingway Kingsway studios, uh, worked with Lamois, Mark Howard, Trina Schumacher, wow. um, Malcolm Byrne, you know, some really great talents there. And, um, Ethan was, became my mentor and you may know that Ethan mixed the Flood Twin record.
0: Yes, I did see that.
1: And Ethan, I've, I've collaborated with Ethan on a number of things over the years. Anyways, I uh, started producing records and, you know, working with, you know, working with small but interesting artists. And I didn't really have a, a band for a few years, but I did do, I did do a couple of, of cool like side projects, a uh, thing called Ballroom Dance is Dead that I did with Lynn Wright. That was James
0: awesome. Thank you, man. I, that uh, India, uh, that song is incredible. I love that. It's twelve minutes of wow. of, of amazing stuff. <laughs> Absolutely love that song. Well, wow, I'm, I'm, that's
1: really exciting to me that you're aware of it, and and I'm flattered. Thank you. We uh, we tried to do do Coltrane uh, in the best way we could on that one.
0: It was so cool. I I only actually, honestly, I only discovered it recently, but it was so awesome. It was. Uh, I've got to go hunt down a, a physical copy of it now because it's. It blew. It, it kind of blew me away. I wasn't. I was. I didn't know what to expect when I found it. And I love your bass playing is so economical and powerful and Lynn's guitar is just, I just, I love the way he played with with feedback and and sculpting sounds. It's just, it was just amazing.
1: He's an extraordinary talent. I'm i I'm actually, I'm off to New York tomorrow morning and I'm going to spend four days with him.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome.
1: We we may have another ballroom dance is dead record you know coming up sometime here in the next year or two.
0: Oh, i have to get both of you guys yeah. on, the sh- on the podcast if that happens
1: yeah we'd love that, that we'd love that. Well, thank, thank you uh, i really appreciate that it was a it was a great project and you know it was just a, it really was just kind of a, a thing to do on the side you know and uh and those but i love those kind of things so yeah. we did that we did that together and then you know i did, did a couple other things and then uh, eventually you know life just was shattered by a number of things, including the, you know, Hurricane Katrina and, and I, I needed to leave Louisiana and move inland. You know, I was, I, I mean, my ex-wife and I, we left during the flooding, but, but I was still, I was still so psychologically impacted by it. And I couldn't, we, we always had evacuation bags packed year round after that. And, yeah. and I, I just couldn't live like that anymore. Always feeling like we needed to be ready to, to run.
0: You That's know? tough. That's a tough way to live. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
1: Yeah. So, I, so we, we left, we came to Georgia and, and then life, you know, spectacularly fell apart. <laughs> when uh, we got here, and, and, and I divorced, and, and you know, I really, really struggled to kind of get my footing musically again. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also a visual artist, and...
0: I was going to ask you about that.
1: Yeah, so, so I, you know, I was focused more on that for, for a while.
0: When did you start doing that? Was that something that you've always done, or was that something that you discovered later on?
1: No, it was something I discovered later on. Now, my mother... My mother's a pretty brilliant talent, and although she doesn't necessarily see herself that way, uh, she, you know, had she chosen to, she could have easily had a career in in the arts, and I learned a lot from her, you know, and uh, anyways, I I grew up interested in visual art, and it wasn't until, though, I was in my probably late 20s that I started to dabble with with paints and canvas, and... My ex-wife uh, was an uh, is an artist, and um, she helped usher me more fully into uh, a routine of of doing that. And I I painted for quite some time, but then ultimately, I really found my way with with ink and paper. And I, you know, I think what I do is well, it's certainly minimalism certainly inspired by Asian minimalism. Uh yes. the Zen painters. I I I don't consider myself at all a Zen painter, but I but I certainly have great interest in in that art form. And you know, I've taken a lot of interest in artists like uh Franz Klein and and Cy Twombly, Motherwell. Um anyways I yeah, I, I've 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 continued to do that and uh, I found um, an interesting language between the, the visual art and what I do musically.
0: Well, there's definitely a connection with the economy of both of your art forms. There's a, I'm trying to think of the right word. Well, I guess maybe like you said, there's, there's a minimalism in your art and in your bass playing and you mm-hmm. do just, you know, what the song needs for your, for your bass playing. You're not trying to cram too many notes and it's just your, your, yeah you're playing what the song requires and it it's really impressive. That I mean, you're that attuned to the, to the music, you know, you're not trying to, to showcase yourself.
1: I really, uh, uh, you know, my abilities probably aren't terribly impressive if I, <laughs> if, I if I, if I did try, no, I, I'm serious, man. I mean, I, I don't play fast and, and, and I don't play, I don't play fancy. I, I think economy is a great word for, for what I do and how I deliberately apply my you know, my artistic sensibilities to music. I I don't feel like there's much for me to to say to get you know, to get across what I'm what I'm trying to do, you know, nice. and Flood Twin. This band to me is I think it is the pinnacle, the musical pinnacle of my life. And awesome. and in terms of finally being able to like capture this beautiful minimalism and and it's not just me i mean i might be jumping forward a little bit too much here for you but but jay hedberg uh guitarist for flood twin i refer to him as as being just a master of negative space i mean I, i think that I mean for me in, in visual art negative space is 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 so is so important uh, to what I do and if I'm able to render a a, a piece of, of visual art that is is beautiful or striking or impactful or intriguing in some way it's it's usually going to be because of how little is actually there right and and Jay applies this same kind of thing with his guitar and and certainly it's you know I mean certainly it's it's influenced too by the way that I write Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just kind of, when, when we first started working together, you know, it was just the two two of us in my, in my studio here in Atlanta. And we just kept trying to like pull things out, you know, and take out stuff that wasn't necessary. And what, what ends up happening, I think in a lot of our, our songs is, is that there'll be, there'll be, you know, maybe so little going on in, in the verse, if we have, I don't even. we don't even always have verses and choruses. <laughs> we have, to, you know, I'm, uh, but, um, there'll be so little happening so that when the next thing occurs, it's enormous and it has such tremendous impact. Yeah. I and mean, that's how I experience it anyways. I don't know about you.
0: Yeah. It, it's, there's, um, repetition of, mm-hmm. of shapes and, and phrases and it's, um, like you said, because of, of of that, when there is a change, it's noticeable and it's very impactful. Sterling does the same thing. I mean, Sterling
1: is, he's a brilliant drummer. He came up through, you know, drum core in new Orleans, you know, and you come up playing in the drum core in a, in, at at a new Orleans high school, you're going to develop chops. Oh yeah. And you're going to know what the fuck you're doing. All right. Yep. You don't last in New Orleans high school drum corps if you can't if you if you don't have it right. You can't, if you so can't, hang, has got you're out. All that. exactly. He's got all that. He's got tremendous training, and yet he does. He applies the same thing. He's always looking for opportunities to strip things back. Yeah, I mean, his almost nothing. His
0: kid in, on the album is very simple as well. If I'm not mistaken, right? He
1: paired it way you're not back. Not mistaken. It's, it's a it's a kick drum, a snare drum, a hi hat, and then uh, he has one uh, one symbol, and then then occasionally we'll use a sampler pad just for some shading, you know, yeah. and and some kind of interesting color, or maybe maybe we want to use a hand clap instead of a snare, you know. But it's all done in real time; none of it's programmed. Wow, he is nothing but the beat. It's all every the pocket is everything, you know. And there's there's this there's almost an industrial uh, music uh, element to what's happening.
0: Oh, the, yeah! You, you, that that's a great point. I didn't think of it like that. In this this direction you wanted to go was that decided before you guys started recording anything or was it just kind of organic or in, in... it was a combination
1: of, of 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 two things it was Jay and I had written a, a, most of the record uh, by the time we we actually decided to start shopping around for a drummer and I knew that I I was interested in in Sterling you know maybe getting involved but Sterling had. Sterling had a whole lot of life challenges that had happened over the years. Okay. And he had a lot of a lot of mental health issues and he this is no secret. He'll talk about it. And he had to step away from music. Uh, okay. okay. And you know, music music broke his heart too many times. And music fucked him up, you know. And he had to find his way back. And so, anyways, um, you know, he and I have remained dear friends, and and so when I, I put up feelers for Uh, For drummers, I made him aware that we were looking, but I didn't ask him outright if he was interested because I wanted it to come from him. I didn't want him to feel pressured. Anyways, he he said, let me hear the music. I got to hear the music. And I sent him the demos and he flipped.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: And and he said, I I, I have to be involved in this. Please give me a chance. I'd love to come and audition. So he drove down. He lives in Jersey. Oh, wow. And so he drove drove down to Atlanta and two songs into the first rehearsal, Jay and I are looking at each other and, and and with knowing eyes, you know, and like, this is it, you know, and that was it. And he joined the band that day and uh, he's been such, such a valuable part of it. And he's brought so much magic to this thing and has elevated, you know, the songs that we had written, he just elevated them to this this place of, of such, depth and power and, and while still being minimal, you know, because again, he's, he's nothing but the beat and he's not, he's not, he doesn't care about impressing anybody with, with how much he can play. He's, he's interested in impressing a feeling upon people by what he, what he's playing and what he's not playing.
0: That could be said for all three of you guys, because the music, the space that you give each other, the tone of each instrument Everything is so powerful. It's so impressive that it's just the three of you guys, and it, it's not shredding at all. You know, it's not, it's not showing off. It's just power. I absolutely love the tone of Jay's guitar. I love the, the tone of your bass and the, and the simplicity of the drums. And it's just, it works so well together.
1: Down. There you are. Go down, go down, down in the water. Hey. Go down. Hey. Thank you.
0: So, how did you guys come up with the name Flood Twin?
1: Mm, I, I, I'm not entirely sure. I came up with that. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'd had it, I, you know, I've had it for a little while. And, and really, I'm not. Uh, I, so, you know, I keep coming back to, you know, Hurricane Katrina and the flooding and all that. The like water has figured so prominently in my psyche for a number of years, okay? Oh, really? And water features in my dream state a lot. I don't, I don't have a, a real good understanding of that. Okay. I, I just know that it's there, and so you know this idea of of just the concept of, of flooding. You know, I mean, the flooding certainly references you know the, the flooding of a body of water, but it's also a, a flooding of emotional or mental information that sometimes is just too much for me, and and okay. I, I and I reach reach points of almost not being able to deal with it. And, and like a lot of artists do, you know, I mean, you know, most of us are a little bit, you know, crazy, you know, I mean, I guess you could say, but I mean, ultimately, ultimately like, God damn it, it's not crazy. It's, it's, it's a certain kind of sensitivity to the world and and to the, the input that we get from around us, you know? And so anyways, water, water figures really heavily, And over and over again, it does. And in my life and in my dream state and So there was that and Jay, Jay and I are completely different people, but there's, you know, how people talk about, uh, I always felt like I had a, you know, maybe there was a twin or, you know, and, and, but they've never met their twin, but it turns out after years and years, they did have a twin and they were separated at birth. Jay is not my, he's not my (laughs) twin. And I don't, and I don't think I have a twin out there somewhere. I have, but my, my one lovely sister, but Jay, in a way though, he, you know, he just, he feels a little bit like that, that oddball twin to me. And so, you know, there was, I think that there was, there was something in that, you know, when Jay and I were first, first coming together and and we, we both, I think felt like maybe we were kind of a bit washed up musically and, and life had kicked us around enough. And, And so, so there was a real, you know, there was a, there was a real, triumphant kind of feeling and like, wow, man, we're making some great music. So uh, you know, and the idea of a twin engine, I d I I don't know. I'm not okay. sure. I think that may have come to me in a dream. That's the best answer I can give you.
0: How did you meet Jay in the first place?
1: Well, uh Jay Jay was a pleasure club fan and he's come he's come around to the shows and he, you know, he had said when when we were active and and um you know he said hi to me on a number of occasions and and then uh, in years since, you know, I've run into him around town and, and, uh, his guitarist He's also a drummer himself. And, oh, cool. um, uh, so I, uh, you know, when I started, when I initially started looking for like one partner to, to make music with, um, you know, Jay had heard that I was looking for, looking for somebody to work with and he and he rang me up. So.
0: Oh, that is awesome. I've listened to the album a bunch of times and it is, so cool. I mean, I love, I want to I, I do love this song, People. Draw your line. Draw your line. There's,
1: no There's no in between. In between. There's no. There's
0: I love Break Your Heart, uh, Down in the Water, which water's coming back in mm-hmm. as a theme. But I think one of the coolest songs is Downtown Zeros. Uh, I love the music, but I also love your vocal delivery. It's, to me, it's reminiscent of hearing Neil Young tell a story. Well, I'm out
1: time with the downtown zeros i'm walking a beat like there's no tomorrow i'm getting down low with the zeros
0: making time
1: making time wow.
0: i've heard it when he does his little uh segues between songs it just kind of sounds like Neil Young telling me a story. It's the sound of your voice and the way you're delivering it. It's it's really cool. Thank you. When did vocals come into the picture for you? Is that something that Um, you did out of necessity for this album, or you always wanted to do that?
1: Well, you know, I'm not a singer, clearly. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, what I do is more of a speak-sing, and it's, I mean, granted, there are, I don't know there's two songs on the record where I'm—I would say I'm legitimately singing, and those are um, probably uh, "Heaven" and oh, fuck. oh, and "If You Were Jesus." If you. I, I had to be the singer in this band because I, you know, when I started w- writing these compositions, I, I, I had things I needed to say. Okay. And I, I just can force myself to develop a, a vocal style and find something that worked. And I, I think it's, I think it works pretty well. And mm-hmm. I think I found, I found my, my place of comfort and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying too hard to, to, be somebody vocally that I'm not, you know, uh, and, and look, I mean, I I hope that I can, um, grow as a vocalist and, and I would like to be able to develop, um, more of an ability to actually sing, but, but there's so much in the, in the the delivery all over the album where it's just real guttural and, 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 and it's, and it's coming from the gut and real, like just, just raw, raw emotion or, or raw, raw thought. You
0: know. Primal is the first one that pops into my mind when you when you say that. Primal!
1: Just, it's it's just full of... Yeah, it's primal. Yeah. It is, it is where it is. Exactly. It is where it is. Yeah, yeah.
0: So have you guys... Did you get a chance to play the music out at all? Or we haven't
1: played live once. Oh, are you, you hoping, hoping to? We are. We're actually... We're playing the... So the record's coming out on um, October 8th. Uh, it'll be available uh, for streaming via SoundCloud, and uh, it'll be available for download and physical purchase by a band camp and we opted just to do cds for now it's impossible there's such a waiting list for vinyl yes. right now it's ridiculous and frankly i like the sound of cds better and uh even though that may make me less than cool
0: uh, <laughs> i love cds but
1: you know cds end up sounding like what i wanted the record to sound like you know and so I love them. I, I love, love them. them. They're nice and small, you know, yeah. yeah. Anyways, we're gonna do, we're doing two shows. Uh, one in uh, Birmingham, Alabama at the Nick on November, I'm sorry, October 14th. And then uh, the next night, Friday the 15th of October at the Earl here in Atlanta. Oh, cool. And uh, so those will be our debuts. And, you know, just given with what's happening in, in our world with COVID and everything right now, we. We just felt like let's just do these two shows. We'll make our debut and then and then we'll just lay low and see what the new year brings. The show to Nick is the vaccination required, you know, for the safety of everybody there. And, you know, we certainly hope to have uh, hope to have a good crowd for that. And we're man, we're we're on fire, man. We're ready. We're ready. I mean, I, I really can't wait for this band to get on stage. I mean, I suspect it's gonna be pretty explosive, really.
0: Yeah, I hope you guys take it out on the road a little bit more and and come to the DC area so I can I, do too. I can catch you guys live. That's our intention.
1: We'll be out um you know and, and hopefully earlier in the new year than than later. So, you know, hopefully what'll happen is that, you know, with the help of people like you, this album will, you know, get a little bit of traction, get a little bit of notice and we'll be able to go out and uh, you know, justify going out and doing some doing some touring.
0: Well, I, I hope so too and I hear you make a pretty good gumbo. Uh, <laughs> who, who told you that? <laughs> I'm just going to say I, I heard it somewhere. So, okay. is uh, it's cooking something you're, you're into too?
1: Man, yeah, you heard right. Yeah. You heard right. I, I, actually, I'll say, yeah, you're right. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, so, yes, man, I make a goddamn good gumbo. And that's kind of how it is, like in New Orleans. Like people who make gumbo, you ask them, you know, no, nobody says, "Oh, my gumbo is okay." Yeah. <laughs> Everybody makes the best gumbo anywhere, yeah. and uh, so, so uh, yeah, I love making gumbo. Now, a few years ago, I I quit eating beef, pork, and chicken. I, you know, just to cut. I just don't eat a lot of animal fats. I, I eat some dairy. I eat seafood. Uh, so I've had to had to you know change i don't use any any real andouille sausage in my gumbo anymore um you know shrimp and crab and and then if i can find the right kind of of uh meatless sausage I'll, i'll use that but i do a thing um a wife cynthia and i uh when i first moved to atlanta i was i was lonely man i i missed new orleans oh sure so much and my first halloween i in my in the house that we're in now, I I uh, decided that I was going to set up in the driveway and I was going to make a gumbo. You nice. know, and I went out with a with a burn with a single burner and a pot, and I fixed up a, a pot of uh, a chicken and andouille gumbo. And what happened that night was incredible. There was there ended up being like a line of 25, 30 people out down my driveway. Oh get gumbo because i was just feeding anybody who's coming by oh yeah and people coming by to get you know candy for the kids i'm like hey i got gumbo you want some gumbo and <laughs> they're like what yeah yeah and some people like what's 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 gumbo you know oh. and so anyways it ended up being this really cool thing that happened and so people told me they're like man you got to do this again next year i'm like oh okay yeah. <laughs> and, and I also then found out later from some of my neighbors who came and, and told me, they're like, you know, so, a lot of the people that came by and, and that you were feeding gumbo, a lot of those people wouldn't have had dinner otherwise.
0: Wow. You know,
1: and I was like, really? And, you know, cause we're, we're, you know, we're kind of in a, a transitional area. Okay. Um, you know where we are in this house and, 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 you know, not far, not far from here, there's, there's, you know, some impoverished communities and, so, uh, you know, I didn't do it because of that. You know, I just I just went out and was feeding people because I like feeding people gumbo. You know, yeah. anyways, I did it the next year, and and people came back and they said, "Oh yeah, you're the gumbo man, right?" Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, yeah. I'm Grant. I'm Grant, and they're like, "Man, you fed us last year. That was really nice of you, and uh, we really appreciate you." That's oh, awesome. Shit, I appreciate you. And so I've been doing that for. Well, since um, 2011, Halloween of 2011. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so I get out in the driveway and I, I make all of them. Now, you know, I've done seafood gumbos and I've done gumbos there, which is, you know, the, the uh, vegetarian gumbo okay. um, with, you know, with a lot of greens, different kinds of greens in it. And and everybody everybody loves it. And uh, people are so appreciative. And Halloween became a thing on our block.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Like it's,
1: we're like one of these destination
0: blocks. <laughs> See, people come from all over the city. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. It's amazing.
1: It's amazing. I, I, you know, I love that kind of community thing. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, well, my neighbors, they jumped in on it. You know, now there's like people across the way are doing hot dogs and then they're doing, they got a big popcorn machine over here and then over here they're doing something else. You know, I'll tell you what I want to do is I want to do a flood twin gig in my driveway.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) That'd be awesome.
1: I do, man. Just, just upset everybody.
0: (laughs) 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 Man, you guys should come up and and do one in my driveway too. I, I think my neighbors would actually dig it.
1: Well, you know, we've got this thing here in my neighborhood called Oak, Oakhurst Porch Fest and it happens every year and it's it's a unsanctioned neighborhood festival and people host artists on their front porches and oh, cool. in their front yards. And yeah, well, I, I don't like it. All oh. right? I'm the grump. <laughs> I'm the neighborhood grump. I don't dig it. And um, it's just a pain in the ass to me. And I, you know, I don't, it's like, People are walking around, and this neighborhood's you know becoming somewhat gentrified. And I, I guess I, I guess I just get bent out of shape thinking about the fact that you know if this was like a predominantly uh, African American neighborhood and people were walking around you know drinking beer, like uh, the cops would be cracking skulls, you know. Yeah. And you know, here's it's just it's like it's okay because it's a you know it's a nice you know like family. In you know neighborhood and, wrote, and yeah. i don't know man i just i get a little bent out of shape with it but uh again i'm i'm the grump and <laughs> i admit it uh but but i was thinking as an alternative to to porch fest i'd host a thing called dark driveways
0: oh cool i like the <laughs> name right. i'm
1: good dark driveways man and just do like you know like gothic and dark wave inspired music you know just wow. really bum people out <laughs> I know, I know Jay and Sterling would back me on this. They'd be (laughs) all about
0: it. Well, if based on just on solely on the, the album, I think you're right.
1: The album's pretty dark, I guess.
0: I love it. I think it's really, it's just got so many different things going on. It's like mentioned a lot. It it is stripped back, but there's a lot going on. And I I love the feedback and the guitar. I love that the, powerful bass it's just it's just really really like I, I know i've said it a bunch tonight but it's it's a very powerful album so i i've really been enjoying it where can people find it how can they order it uh, how can they follow the the band and see what you guys are up to
1: yeah so um well for starters our website is floodtwin.com and you know we'll soon be populating that with with more and more information about what's happening with the band, we we uh, we also have um, uh, an Instagram page um, that uh, I've started posting information on. Okay. Um, uh, we have a Facebook page as well. Uh, that you know I'm probably going to be leaning more on the Instagram. Um, it's easier. It's more immediate. But but uh, that'll that's that's getting populated with information about what's going on. Again, the album is going to be available uh, for streaming via SoundCloud, and it will also be available for download at Bandcamp, and it will be available for sale uh, for CDs uh, on Bandcamp as well. And that is all coming on October
0: 8th. Well, thank you so much. I've kept you for about an hour at this point. Thank you for spending so much time with me. It's been so much fun.
1: Thank you. You know, you've uh, um, uh, really kind of inspired me to to, uh, maybe over talk. And, <laughs> uh, I just, you know, I, I really appreciate, I, I appreciate your interest in the album, uh, of course. and, and appreciate that you've, you know, you've actually, you've obviously spent some time with it and, and, um, you've, you've certainly uh, taken me by surprise here a couple <laughs> times that you've, you've done, done your research so well, but, uh, I really appreciate it, and, and thanks from uh, Jay and Sterling too. Um, of we're we're really proud of this record, and it means something to us. And and we know we're not going to reach the world with it, but we hope to reach people who will really, really love it.
0: Well, I'm count me in on that because it's I I, I love it. I also I love your artwork. I Thank just you. absolutely fall in love with it. It's I'm looking at the website right now, and I'm a I can't... I'm not pulling up uh, titles. I don't know if, if you've titled some of these the pieces, but I'm looking at some of them, and they're absolutely incredible.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So, is the, the art for sale? How can people find out more about your artwork, too?
1: You know, people can... If people go to my personal Instagram feed, which is GW uh, G. Curry, I'm oftentimes posting images there. Okay. And, uh, you know, I don't really push my stuff for sale very hard, I, but yes, it's all available for sale Okay, and people will see something they like and, and make inquiries. So I certainly, you know, invite people to uh, reach out to me if, if that's something they were interested in. And, um, I'm always happy to, to, you know, send somebody more images that I maybe haven't posted, you know, okay uh i'm gonna text you some stuff
0: oh that would be amazing that i would love that and uh yeah. i'll probably reply with some more photos just because
1: actually i do have i do actually have a website and i i haven't been great about keeping up with it but it's uh it's grantcurry.com
0: okay that that f-
1: is man that's where you want to be yeah
0: oh for sure and you actually did the artwork for the album right
1: I did. Yeah. And yeah, I'm really pleased with it again. It's like, you know, it's just stark minimalism Yeah, and, uh, it's a representation of uh, retinal hemorrhage.
0: Oh, wow. That's why I had no idea because I've never actually, I don't think I've ever actually seen a retinal hemorrhage. So
1: no, you wouldn't. And I, and I hope you never do, but, <laughs> um, I had, I, I had a, I had a hemorrhage in my, uh, and uh retina in my left eye a few months ago wow. and uh, it was really it was really frightening and um you know I, I'm getting getting treatment for that and uh, that was uh, blood traps between my retina and the vitreous jelly behind the retina and, and i I needed to be able to describe to my my retina specialist what was happening in the eye and so instead of trying to talk him through it I just Rendered it with ink, and wow. um, I brought that to him, and and uh, it just, I ended up being the being the cover of the album.
0: That's um, amazing! So, wow.
1: Um, yeah, not not fun stuff. No, pretty scary, but but I'm okay, and got a great fucking piece of art out of it, and we've got a really interest. I think a really interesting and intriguing uh, album cover. You know, because yeah. it could be anything. That could be a, a a river delta. Yeah. You know? could be water
0: it could yeah you're right it's it's very abstract so it you know just like a lot of of the the works on the album people going to bring their own interpretations to it so it it, the artwork Mm -hmm. fits in perfectly with the album so it's a wonderful match
1: thank you mark thank you man i really enjoyed speaking with you You never ask us about Damascus. You never ask us about Damascus. You never ask. You never dance.